So my name is Willis Weatherford, if I haven't met you yet. I'm trying to like introduce myself a little bit each week just because I know that it's my first semester on campus and uh, we have some new people every week. So this week I'll tell you a random bit of trivia about myself. I am an ordained pastor in a denomination called the PCA. I went to graduate school for four years, learned Greek and Hebrew, and so that's a fun fact about me. So now you know. Um, and I'm, I'm like full-time pastor to this campus. This is my job. And I'm here for you. So if you ever um, want someone to pray for you, uh, have a question about Jesus or the Bible, that's what I love talking about. And so I would love to speak with you anytime. I'm in your corner. Uh, I think, is my number on the handout? Is it on there? Yeah, just text me and tell me who you are and stuff. I get spam texts. Do you guys get spam texts? Yeah. yeah. So that so like let me know who you are. Just like, yeah. Otherwise I'll just delete it. Um, what else was I gonna say? Oh, I'm feeling a little loopy right now because I had I have kind of a cold. I took cough syrup this morning, and then um, I took Alka Seltzer, which is like old man medicine basically, <laughs> this afternoon. And I think that combination is a little weird, so I'm tripping a little bit right now. So this could go really far sideways. If it sounds different or you know something's going on, okay? So that's what it is. I'm not sure if I'm going to come across low energy or like crazy high energy tonight. Um, Yeah, so that's my name, uh, Willis Weatherford. But what I really want you to know about me is that I'm not a good person. But Jesus loves me and he loves you. And that changes everything. And tonight we're going to look at how that changes the, uh, the direction of our lives. Um, we looked at work last week, so we kind of turned a corner in our series of competing kingdoms, right? So there's the secular kingdom that we're all a part of. We all live in here at Washington and Lee. It's the dominant kingdom in America. Secular kingdom dominates. And uh, we're looking at the kingdom of God and how it's this alternative lifestyle, culture, way of life, And so we looked at that hard for the first few weeks, and now we're starting to look at, in the kingdom of God, what do we do? What does our life actually look like? How is it different? Last week, we looked at work and the importance of our work, and it doesn't stop. We actually find out something else that we're called to do in addition to, above and beyond our work. This is about being a sent kingdom. The kingdom of God is sent outwards. Um, I should also say, if it's your first time here, Uh, or if it's your first time back in a while. RUF is a Christian ministry on campus. So we're about Jesus, if you hadn't gotten that already from like the slides and the songs and stuff. And we're here for Christians and non-Christians. Okay, so if you have friends that you're like, I think they would be interested to hear this stuff, even if they're not Christians, you can invite them because my goal every week is to preach the gospel in a way that people who even haven't ever been to church can understand it. And I'd love to meet them and do that. So here for you guys. Let's talk about the Comstock load. Who knows about silver mining in America? Raise your hand. Any history buffs? Somebody was like, yeah, didn't want to like actually put their hand all the way up. I see you. I'm not going to look at you, but I saw you, and I want you to know I'm proud of you for knowing that. Uh, Okay, so June 1859. uh, Henry Pancake Comstock. It's actually fortuitous. The question was about nicknames. This guy's name was Pancake because apparently he loved pancakes. I don't know the story there. Henry Pancake Comstock. He discovered 35 miles south of Reno, Nevada, just tons of silver in the ground. Tons and tons, right? And so he discovers it. I don't know how the news got out, but it definitely got out. And pretty soon there's prospectors, miners, land agents, entrepreneurs just flooding into 
the middle of the desert, Nevada. I mean, who's, been, who's driven through Nevada? Nevada? I don't know. Is anybody from Nevada here? Raise your hand. Anybody? Nope. Wow. Come on. Let me know. Get some Nevadaites here. Okay, so if you've ever driven through it, though, it is barren. It's like the surface of the moon. I'm sorry, Natalie. I didn't try to make you laugh here. Natalie's with me. We're, we're both with you tonight. Uh, it's totally barren, but thousands of people flood this area. Answer, uh, why, the answer to why is to get at the silver. Okay, so th- they founded this city, right? From nothing, just desert, pops into existence this city called Virginia City, interestingly, named after this um, drunkard, apparently, who like tripped on the step of the saloon and um, yeah, like made himself famous somehow. Uh, his, his nickname was Old Virginia Finney. So anyway, Virginia City, that's the way this stuff happened in the 1870s. So from 1859 to 1870, grows from zero, patch of dirt, nothing, to 25,000 people. All because, uh, well, i also say this, um, the mines produced $300 million worth of silver, a little bit of gold too, mainly silver, which sounds like a lot, not that much, but adjusted for inflation, that's $6,800,000,000 in today's dollars. Which, if you divide that amount equally among every student at Washington and Lee, and you each get an equal part, $3.7 million a piece. So it's a lot of money. And that's what brought this 25,000 prospectors there in the middle of nowhere, because the silver was just lying there in the dirt, right? It was just there waiting to be dug up. In our passage today, Jesus is saying there's an untapped harvest, plentiful, abundant, and it's just waiting. It's just waiting in the fields to be brought in. He says, go get it. So my goal today, the one goal of this sermon is to plant a passion in each of you to go and make disciples for the rest of your life, wherever you go, your job. I'm not talking, just like get this out of the way. I'm not trying to convince all of you to go be like full-time missionaries or pastors. I'm talking about wherever you go, wherever you're aimed, share the gospel there. And go ahead and like erase it from your heads, whatever uh, like concept of like evangelism or awkward conversations you have. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something a little bit different. We're going to dive into it tonight with three points. What is the harvest? How's it harvested? And so what? Okay, what is the harvest? How's it harvested? So what? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us tonight. Thank you for bringing my loopy self all jacked up on cough syrup and Alka-Seltzer. I ask, Lord, that you would help me to preach clearly, that you would be speaking by your Holy Spirit, even if things get garbled up here. We just want to leave your change, Jesus. We want to bring in your harvest. And if we don't want that, we want you to help us want it. So we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what is the harvest? Okay, so a little note on reading the Bible. If you're, you know, you're, let's say you go back to your dorm room, you're like reading the Bible tonight, tomorrow morning, and you open up and you read this random passage. You're like, what is going on here? Something you can do. If it's like, say, longer than a few verses, there'll probably be a word or two repeated. Just take that repeated word and try to find out what it means. That's like your new learning objective on that passage. And that's what I did with this sermon. Just read this verse, and I noticed the word harvest three times. The word laborers two times. I think I got that right. Yeah, three and two. Most common words, that's the sermon. So first point, 
the harvest, what is the harvest? So I want to I want to hop over to John four, where Jesus talks about the same concept of the harvest and get a little more clarity, which is a great thing to do when you read the Bible. Find a word you don't know what it's talking about. Go somewhere else in the Bible where it talks about the same thing. Use scripture to interpret scripture. So John four, another angle here. Jesus is talking. He says, "Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest." Grain grows, the, the heads get ready to be harvested, looks white in the fields. The fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. What is he saying? Uh, the, what is the harvest? Short answer it's, the, it's new citizens in the kingdom of God. Okay? The harvest isn't like grain or apples or whatever. It's new citizens in the kingdom of God. People who used to be enemies of God, but now are friends of God. New citizens in the kingdom of God. So people who used to be rebels against God can repent and become his children. People who used to hate God and everything about him and all of his ways can come to love him and love his ways. People who used to be dead in their sin, like all of us once were, some of you may still be, can be made alive in Christ. New life. That's the harvest. New citizens in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is sending out, like when he tells this, um, when he says these words here about the harvest, he's talking to his followers. And he's saying, go out into every place that I'm about to go. Because I'm about to go into all these little villages, random places. And I'm going to show them what the kingdom of God is in my, in my person. But before he gets there, he wants them to go and share the message of the kingdom of God. We're going to look more about like what that message is and consists of and how they do that. But what I want you to see is that the goal here is that people would experience total life change. That their whole lives would begin to look like the kingdom of God. And, and the way that works through believing in the king, in Jesus, the king of the universe. Okay. So think about it this way. Um, we have some cute pictures up on here. Do I just click to the right here somewhere? Yeah. Okay, is that going to mess it up? What do I just click? Yeah. There we go. Okay, so those are cute kids. Those are my kids. So Juniper and Judah. That's a cabbage, giant cabbage. There's some beets on the other side there. There's James walking through the garden. So they're walking through my mother-in-law's garden. Okay, there, that's with like even smaller. That's cute. Uh, yeah. They, love, they used to love, they still love eating the peas, like picking the peas out of the pot. They're so sweet and they're fresh. Yeah. Okay, so some cute pictures. Uh, I want you to see this, this image of like, this garden my kids did not plant. It's not my garden. Um, I can't garden at all. Uh, my wife can garden. But my mother-in-law, Kathy, awesome gardener. Okay. Giant, big garden. Uh, we're talking like beans, tomatoes, peppers, squash, uh, cabbages. Okra, that's my favorite. Love me some fried okra. And then raspberries are like the real winner for my kids, right? So huge, beautiful garden. She's the one that tills the dirt. She's the one that picks the weeds. She plants the seeds. She waters it. She keeps it growing for like months. And then we roll into town and she lets my kids just roll over garden and just like pick off every, literally just pick it off the bush and eat it. And it's great. They love it, right? And the, that's the funnest thing is like they don't have to work. Like, do you think I could get my kids to work in the garden and like hoe the like no, it's not gonna happen. They're four years old. But she likes to share that harvest with them. That's the way she is. She likes to do that. She loves doing it. And Jesus is saying, 
Look out at the fields. Look out at your classrooms, your hall, your hometowns. See it how I see it. He's saying, like, I'm the owner of the farm. Like, I've planted all the seeds of the gospel out there. The seeds of new life are just waiting in people's hearts. They're like already beginning to sprout. And he's saying, like, I've done all this crazy work from before you were born. Like, if you are in the kingdom of God, it's because he knew your name and he chose you from before the beginning of the world. Controversial, but it's true. He has done so much work to bring each one of you into this room. And he's saying, like, you get to be the one who just waltzes in at the end of that process and has maybe that conversation with someone where the light bulb goes on and they become a Christian. That's crazy, you guys. Do you see what this means? Well, here's another angle on this. You get to plunder hell, okay? Like everybody on our own, we're just on this trajectory towards hell, but we get to plunder hell. You get to reach into hell's handbasket and just steal souls from Satan. Right? You get to pilfer people from perdition's pocket. I like that one. I don't know. That's good. Have you gotten greedy for the eternal lives and souls of your friends and your neighbors and your roommates? Get greedy for this, is saying. They're the harvest, and it's plentiful. We think maybe it's like, oh, man, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say about Jesus. They're not going like, to care anything that I like. My, anything I might do, they're not even going to notice. This is saying, no, no, no. It's not a stingy harvest. It's not like you've got to go out and like, beat through the weeds for five hours to find one, I don't know, gourd, raspberry. It's saying that it's a, it's a plentiful harvest. It's out there, and he wants to use you to bring it in. So Jesus says, go harvest. Receive wages, gather fruit for eternal life, and rejoice with me. Like, I'm pulling some lines from the rest of the passage, but Jesus is saying, like, go out, do it. So he wants you to rejoice with him. You see what he wants to do? Like, it would have been easy for Jesus to just, I don't know, like have some kind of a breaker box of souls in heaven and be like, click, converted, done. But he didn't do it that way. Could have. He's powerful enough to. Why didn't he do it? He wants to involve you in the process. He likes that. He wants to share his joy with you. He wants to share the joy that somebody who is an enemy can be a friend of God. This joy that someone who was lost and didn't understand the hope that comes when you know your future for sure, you get to share the joy of bringing that to someone's life. He wants you to experience what it looks like to look in someone's eyes and then for the first time realize the shame and the guilt that they have suffered under for their entire life for what they've done or what's been done to them is no longer on their shoulders because Jesus took it off. He wants you to rejoice that somebody who's headed for hell is now bound for glory and sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's the fruits of the harvest. That's the reward for the laborers. So how? How is it harvested? How do we do this? It's right there in the verse. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, how is the harvest harvested? How do these people become new citizens in the kingdom of God? It happens when God sends out laborers. So, the Lord of the harvest in this verse, that's, that's God, right? You're not the Lord of the harvest. It's not me. It's not my harvest. It's the Lord. And he's the one that sends out laborers, workers, into the harvest. That's his disciples back when he was on earth. But guess what? They died. And like there's more harvest needs to get brought in. So it's all of us. Every age of history needs workers to bring in the harvest. So we're the field hands. 
We bring in the harvest. This is not like only for some Christians who are like professional Christians like me who have like a degree and stuff. Pastors, full-time evangelists, overseas missionaries. Those people have chosen, God has called them to make that their actual occupation, like their full-time thing. And that's great. And maybe some of you are called to that. That'd be awesome. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about every single person, wherever you go, the gospel wants to go there. And so we're going to talk more about that in a second too. But what do we do as laborers? Like what are the actions of what we do? First, one thing we don't do, okay? We don't actually convert people. So it's not on you to figure out like a certain kind of way to explain the gospel or point out problems in somebody's life or to like wrap your head around all of the apologetics issue type, you know, objections people have. Those are some good things to like do, but it's not on you to convert somebody. Jesus converts people. God converts people. I mean, Jesus said this, John 6, 44. Nobody can come to me, Jesus saying, nobody can come to me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is saying, everybody that God draws to me, that person is mine, and I will raise him up the last day. He's going to rise from the dead. So, like, if God wants him, God draws him, and Jesus raises him. That's how it works. It's not on you. We're not in the equation of, like, saving somebody's soul, but... God does use us. We're like one of the instruments he uses to make that happen. So we're not owners of the process, but we are involved in the process. And so what do we do, though? We live out and we proclaim the realities of the kingdom of God. Okay? So go ahead and wipe away from your mind, like, I have to, like, go and share the gospel with someone. That's a beautiful thing to do, but I'm not talking about that. What are the realities of the kingdom of God that you have experienced? Okay, later on in this same chapter, Jesus kind of talks about to the disciples what that might look like. He says, heal the sick in the villages you go to and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Do you see the two parts? There's like an action thing they do and then the thing that they say. So we live and proclaim the pressing reality of the kingdom of God. We heal the sick. Okay, that's like the living out action. Now listen. Back in Jesus' day, God gave gifts to these people to actually heal things. We don't have these gifts to like actually heal people anymore. Jesus does. We should pray for people to be healed when they're sick way more often than we do. And I've seen that happen. Praise God. He can do that. But it's not limited to like healing of sickness. This is talking about everything, every way you live your life that shows somebody, wait a second, there's another thing invading the world where it's different. Okay, there's another kingdom at work here that's not governed by this thing, the, the secular kingdom. It wouldn't make sense in the secular kingdom, but something's happening that's different. So I want to challenge you. If you say you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, does your life look any different? Would anybody watching your life get any kind of weird, uneasy sense of like, what's, what's going on over there? Like, that's weird. What's going on over there? Do your eating habits reflect the kingdom of God or the secular kingdom? Does your Saturday night reflect the kingdom of God or the secular kingdom? Have your friendships been changed by the secular kingdom and formed by that or by the kingdom of God? Like, would someone know? And if you feel convicted right now, we should all probably feel convicted that, yeah, a lot of our time, a lot of the time, our lives don't look any different. But I also know many of you personally, so I want to encourage you that like, actually, I do see a lot of difference in a lot of your lives. It's not just like the joy and the hope and the peace that is evident when we're in conversation and how like the anxiety that is so often like through the roof in this place 
comes way down when we're in a room together because like you don't bring it in the room and that's awesome and that's because of Jesus. It's not just that like how you feel. I see you making decisions where you're like, I kind of wanted to do this thing, but then I realized Jesus wanted me to do this thing and I realized I want that too, so I'm gonna do this thing. <laughs> that's not normal. And so like you can share those stories with people. Um, Jesus is making a difference in many of your lives. And so I want you to like, if you see any like square inch of difference in your life, praise God for that. Because that difference is what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God winning new citizens. It's that difference. So the difference is a key part of this other reality. Like turning this little corner here. Okay. This other thing this passage teaches, which is super cool, is that the kingdom of God is a mobile phenomenon. It like moves places. It goes to the Kaisai party on Saturday night. It sits down next to people on the Traveler, makes a new friend on the club soccer team. It learns the server's name at Coop. Uh, the kingdom of God has first years over for burgers. It plays tight end on the football team. Where is Evan? There he is. It plays in the orchestra. It sings in the choir. The kingdom of God does these things because guess what? The kingdom of God is among us. Jesus, Luke 17, behold, the kingdom of God is among you. The dominion of God, what this means, like the dominion of God where the power and presence and reality of God himself is like felt and experienced. It goes wherever you go, because if you're a child of God, he's alive inside of you. And so when you go in someplace, the kingdom of God just walks through the door. So this is kind of a crazy thing. Wrap our heads around a little bit. Uh, Some of you probably know the story. Jessica Buchanan, this American who was um, like stranded, not stranded, abducted by land pirates, I guess, abductees, kidnappers, um, and somewhere in the continent of Africa. Somebody help me out. Where was it? Was it Somalia? It was somewhere like in the middle of nowhere, and it was rough. Okay, so she gets abducted. This other guy, uh, Paul, or Poole, I don't know, it's a Dutch name, P-O-U-L, Poole, Hagen, Thisted, I don't know how you say that. Anyway. They get abducted, okay? And this is a big deal for an American being abducted. The president's on the phone, all this deal. And uh, she's there for a while. And the American government doesn't want to intervene for a while because, you know, geopolitics and stuff. And then eventually she gets really sick. And it's like, oh, she might actually need to. And they have some ways of communicating through, like, mediators or whatever to where they know, like, she might actually die. That's when the president's like, you know what? We're going to send in SEAL Team 6. Now, if you don't know about SEAL Team 6, they're awesome. Every dude in here is like, yes! My dream in life is to be on SEAL Team 6. I get it. Me too. Um, And the reason it's that way is basically the most elite warriors in the world. And so I'm just permission for all of us to geek out and feel like super patriotic for a second and be like, yes, like whatever country you're from, the soldiers that do the hard stuff, they're awesome. And the... The thing about them is like when they roll up, okay, so when they roll up to Jessica's like patch of desert, first of all, the leader of the SEAL team, can't remember his name right now, reads a psalm to his team. That's cool. Okay, so now they land on the helicopter, they infiltrate, they walk however many kilometers, they infiltrate, they kill everybody, all the bad guys, they're all dead in like, I don't know, 12 seconds. Meanwhile, the leader of the team is like bear cradling Jessica so she doesn't get like shot by a straight bullet. Then he hefts around his back and they run out of there. Rescued. Done. What this means is the reason SEAL Team 6 is such a big deal and we think it's so awesome is because when they show up, that like patch of ground becomes American territory. 
where the will of America slash SEAL Team 6 is going to happen, right? Like, in that moment, she was as safe or safer as if she was in the middle of, like, Lexington, Virginia. I don't know, like, the safe place in America. Because when they show up, they bring the kingdom of America. And this is saying you individually and we together are the mobile reality that God uses to bring his power, his dominion, wherever you go in this world. I find that awesome. So what? Okay, what do we do with this? If this is the harvest, God wants these people, your friends, your neighbors, your homemates, he wants them. And this is some of how we like move toward them. Like how do we actually live differently this week? If you're here tonight and you don't consider yourself a Christian, maybe you're like, I kind of want to be, not really sure. I want you to hear that Jesus cares enough about you that he has enlisted an army of every single Christian ever in existence to go and get you, right? (laughs) He loves you. He really, really, really wants people to be saved. That's good news. And if that hasn't been your experience of the church, like if you're like, okay, you say that, but actually I showed up to church this one time or for many years and I had this horrible experience that did not feel like welcome or like the kingdom of God. I mean, we got to admit that. And I'm so sorry that you experienced that. And multiple, many of you in this room have had that experience. And that's not the way it should be. And it's true. The church is messed up. We are not the way that Jesus calls us to be. The only thing that we can do as flawed sinners like me is to point people to Jesus because he's the main event, guys. It's not about the church. It's about Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you're trying to follow him, if you're trying to follow this Jesus, two encouragements. So live differently, proclaim the kingdom, just like you just said, right? How do we live differently? So like sanctification, if you're in here and there is a sin in your life or like 12 in my case, if there's some sin in your life that you are like working on trying to put to death, this is the language the Bible uses, to try to like stop doing it, get it out of your life. And you're getting creative and you're trying things, you're talking to people and you're praying. If you're in that work, I want to tell you like, Keep it up. Good job. That's so important because as you become more like Jesus, people see and they notice. They're like, there's something different about that person. That's the on-ramp into the kingdom of God for many people. So don't give up. Keep it up. It's a grind. It's slow. It's not as fast as you'd like. It's worth it. Um, So consider um, also how to proclaim the kingdom. So this one's a little simpler, guys. I'm going to take some of the pressure off. Some of you are like, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel. Kind of an introvert. Don't really like public speaking in general. I'm not saying that there's never a time for you to stand up to a friend or to a room and say, hey, here is the gospel and just kind of lay it out for people. That would be awesome. But more often, the thing that God uses to bring people into his kingdom is you telling your story of how God has changed your life and made your life look more like the kingdom of God. And so my encouragement to you is like, get to know your own story, right? Like, I don't know, maybe counseling has a place in this for you because our stories are all weird. Mine is super weird. But like Jesus has written new chapters in my story. And as you follow Jesus for a while, you start to see how he's changing stuff. That is a story that is so precious and so worth sharing with someone. It's a personal thing. It's done in the context of a relationship. So you got to be making friends with people who aren't Christians so that one day you'll have the trust to share your story of how God has changed your life. That's an awesome way to share the gospel. Another thing, and this is like even more simple and tangible, kind of scary. Uh, if you meet someone and you notice, oh, it looks like they're sick. It looks like they're having a hard day. Well, she's standing in the middle of campus crying. Like all stuff that happens to us, you, you pass people like this, go up to them and say, hey, 
you know, I see you, you know, whatever it is. Can I pray for you? And if they say, yeah, pray for them. Like then and there. And maybe say, is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? And just pray for them. You would not believe how often doing that just brings people to tears. Even if they don't give a hoot about Jesus. They're going to feel that you care in that moment. And guess what? Jesus hears your prayers. Like, and he will answer those. So pray for people. Um, God has a plentiful harvest planted. So go out this week and let's bring it in. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the reality that you have planted an abundant harvest. And it's just there. And that you involve us in this process of bringing it in. Make us brave. Make us more like you, Jesus. Help our lives to look more like the kingdom of God. We just ask that you would put in our hearts this desire and longing. Put specific names on our hearts even now that we would want to see them in your kingdom and that we would want to live our lives differently and proclaim the goodness and the truth of you and your kingdom to them. Just give us the blessing of seeing many new people enter your kingdom even this year at Washington Lee, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.